0: well hey welcome to in the growth space i'm your host david McGlennon, and i'm really grateful that you've decided to share this time here with me in this episode you know this podcast is all about exploring growth from a number of different perspectives and whether it's growing your company or, or growing your leadership maybe growing your team or just growing yourself growth is something that has to be intentional you have to really make it an intentional act and you know, if you've listened for any length of time, you've heard me say that um, in order to get that growth and be in that growth zone and be in that growth space, you got to do two things. First, you've got to get outside of your comfort zone. And that's the place where we, we, we know how to do things. We're, we're, we're um, capable. Um, we, we, we've been programmed to be safe in that comfort zone. So we got to get out of that and that takes an intentionality and secondly then we've got to break through the terror barrier and that terror barrier is that place it's that psychological place where we feel so much discomfort because we're trying something new and likely we're failing and and it's a place where most people bounce off of and go back into what they know because it feels better and it feels safer so this, this is really what this podcast is all about. It's, it's getting outside of our comfort zone and busting through that terror barrier and, and really trying new things, trying things that we've never done before, um, feeling the discomfort and really being comfortable being uncomfortable. If you're a company owner or leader, you know, I often say that if your people are growing, um, if they're trying new things, if they're, if they're working on new projects, if they're doing things that they've never done before, your company's gonna grow because they're growing. So when your people grow, your company will grow. Simple as that. It's simple, but it's definitely not easy. Now today, we're gonna talk with a former senior executive of a Fortune 500 company, a company called CarMax. Um, You've probably heard of them. Uh, they, They really have transformed the Car buying um, process in 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 America, and um, this this executive uh, helped them to grow because he really realized that he wasn't in the car business; he was in the people business, and that made all the difference in the world. So I'm talking today with a gentleman by the name of Vaughn Sigmund, and he not only was a Fortune 500 executive. But he's somebody who understands the value of building a culture that really helps people to grow and to help the company grow through the people aspect of uh, of, of an organization, and he. He, he also knows the value of speaking straight and, and speaking straight is, is the theme that we're working on and working through in this segment of the podcast. And you'll hear him talk about how he used uh, the, the idea of speaking straight. And I know that you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Vaughn. So let's go ahead and get into that right now. Well, Hey Vaughn, uh, welcome to in the growth space, man. I am so uh, glad that you're here today and really anxious for this conversation.
1: Well, me too, David. You know, when you and I had spoken previously, there was a this instant connection to your vibe and your philosophy on on what you do and mine. So I'm really looking forward to having this discussion today.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that and 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 likewise, you know, I know when we talked, you know, I I I had read your your motto and I, I loved that. I loved it because you say that, you know, no matter what business you're in, you're in the people business. And and I think, wow, that's so true. So maybe tell me a little bit more about that. What what led you to that, you know, being your motto?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So this goes back a long time, David. So I'm about to give away my age. This was back <laughs> into the mid late 70s. I was very fortunate in my early stages of my career to have a couple really great leaders as mm-hmm. my bosses. Mm-hmm. And Ted Boswell, which I, I always give him credit for that that saying or my motto, I remember standing, Ted, I was way too young to be doing what I was, I was doing at the time. I was way too dumb and immature and inexperienced, but Ted had taken a chance on me. Yeah. And Ted was, was raising me, if you will, through my role and i remember i can remember the time you know how sometimes in your memory there's these little snapshots you go right back to it Mm -hmm. and we were standing at the front of one of my my stores and we were watching it was a busy day we were watching and he was complimenting me on how well my location was doing and he says but vaughn always remember because i was doing this right i was doing this right tactically i was doing a lot of things right Mm -hmm. but it's not about what i can tactically do it's what i can get my people to accomplish. And he said, always remember Vaughn, no matter what business you're in, you're in the people business. Man, did that resonate for me. And I took that as a, as a core, Mm -hmm. as a core value Mm -hmm. and approached the rest of my very long career, which I still learn on today, um, as, as the foundation for which not only do I, did I run my businesses, but also coached and trained other people to run their business. It's a foundational element in that most managers are placed in that position, promoted in that position because of something that they're particularly tactically efficient, effective at. Mm. They were great at this. They were great at accounting. They were great at at, um, doing schedules for orderlies, whatever it was. And they were a great engineer, and so all of a sudden, because you're a great engineer, we're going to make you a manager. Mm. And mm-hmm. so many of these people unknowingly get placed into a, a position of leadership. And they, without that foundational core value, they go to what I think comes naturally to most people. And again, unknowingly is I'm just going to tell people what to do and they're going to do it.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: And can that work? Yeah. Uh, you're just asking your, uh, for a lot of extra work if you do that, because you're going to lack buy-in, there's going to be a lack of respect, you're going to be constantly fighting fires and fixing the same mistake over and over again. Mm-hmm. If we were to able to grab that manager before we placed them in that position, gave them the leadership training, mm-hmm. not just the management, there's two different things, yeah, but sure. a, a blend of management and leadership and and help them develop their own core principles with the people part of it as the foundation, mm-hmm. understanding that you're only as successful, this is what it boils down to, you're only successful as them. Yeah. It's not about you. Yeah. It's about them. And if I, if I use my efforts, place my efforts into all the different elements of, of getting their buy-in, commitment, earning their respect, taking care of them, it all starts with empathy. And if you want them to care about you and you being successful, you better care about them and display that on a regular basis. And that sounds like it's okay. That makes sense. It's hard for a lot of people, especially with different personality types to really put that into action.
0: You know, I'm so glad that you talked about the personality types, because sometimes I, I see that certain personality types, it's harder to to what I'll say I I, the way I say it is visit the other personality styles you know so if I'm a on the disc scale if I'm a if I'm a d sometimes it's really hard for me to visit that s that b supportive and slow myself down or even you know just if I'm an i coming over to that c quadrant and really helping that analytical person to come along and I think that it that's a that's a real aspect of of People, people leadership is is knowing personalities and understanding and 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 coming over to that side.
1: And you mentioned I think the best tool to get this started with is a disk profile. Yeah, understanding sure. yourself and then applying the knowledge that you get out of your disk report to understanding others mm-hmm. and being able to identify because they're very observable, yeah. the other behavioral types, personality types. And then I think it's page nine on most of the reports, Mm -hmm. the communication styles of the D, I, S, and C, and how to to adjust yourself in six bullet points. And that alone is a game changer. Mm -hmm. But again, if I go into a a position of management or leadership and I don't embrace or understand that, it's like hitting a a telephone pole with a baseball bat um it's hard to get people to move that way and you continue to and here's the other thing too the excuse is always made it's their fault it's their fault this manager's not successful i gotta start changing people or Mm. this person's being obstinate or this person isn't buying in Mm. and they never turn the mirror on themselves and ask why yeah yeah, right. There's a there's a book that again, back to the 70s. Yeah. And I suggest everybody read it. I think any new manager needs to read this book. It's been around forever. I think you can still get them in print. It's uh, Ferdinand Forney's, F-O-U-R-N-E-S, 16 Reasons Why Employees Don't Do What They're Supposed to Do.
0: Oh, <laughs> they never heard of that one.
1: And I, I remember the frustration I was in. I found that book at the, at the B. Dalton or the Barnes and Noble or whatever in the mall and I read it and it was like a head slap. Oh, Everything that they do wrong is my fault. <laughs> There's a common denominator here, right? <laughs> I did yeah. something wrong. Oh, and that you know that only further enforced, no matter what business I'm in, I'm in the people business. And again, it turned the tables back on me and my responsibility sure. to make sure I was providing them with the, the whys and the information and the how and the support and all the things that good managers and leaders have to be able to do to be successful. Right. It's up to you, not up to them.
0: Yeah. You know, so I, I, I know a little bit about your, your background, and, and you were really in some senior leadership at a you know large organization, CarMax, and a great organization, and really kind of transformed the car buying industry. In, and so I'm, I'm kind of curious, like how did you take what you knew and, and that foundation into that environment and and really kind of create the success that you were able to create?
1: Well, you know, uh, thank you for asking that, David. So, a little bit of background, a little color. CarMax uh, probably has 30,000 employees today, maybe more. Uh, Back when I was with them in the uh, late 90s, early then, up through the mid 2000s, in management and leadership, we did not hire a single person from the car business. Oh, None, zero, zip, which goes back to the whole experience challenge is mm-hmm. the mistake in hiring people is, well, they got experience, they must be able to do it for me. Wrongo. Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast, David. Yeah. But um, it's about the human. Yeah. And we approached growing that business from a people first standpoint. Mm. And one of the foundational elements, not my motto, but it was a a, a motto that's been widely used in that, take care of your people, they'll take care of your customers, everything else will take care of itself. So they invested very heavily. So I walked into an environment that was perfect for me. Mm, Just absolutely perfect. I was in the most natural world I possibly could have because it was all about the people. And... I learned, I learned a lot, but I was also able to thrive there because of what I brought in with this people first attitude Mm -hmm. in that I knew that in order to, you know, I, I I started with next to nothing out here on the West coast, a couple stores built it into, you know, a multi-billion dollar region. And, but I had to build a team. And the, the first team that I built around me, I instilled in them through development, Hey, we're going to find the best human mm. to perform for us, not the best experience. Yeah. And I and it, frankly, the best person for this job may have zero experience. And that's okay. That's okay we'll teach yeah. them. Yeah. We'll teach them. We're going to take the time and and give them the opportunity to grow. And if you have some early growers, you have some mid-level growers, you have some people that have been in the system for a while, and you're constantly filling that pipeline, that pipeline of people, mm-hmm. you're going to be set up for success. And yeah. that was the the approach, the, the process that I instilled in my group of, of, of locations mm-hmm. in that we were a people factory. Yeah, that's cool. And it worked very, very well. And, you know, My people did all this, but this was the byproduct of taking that approach in everything we did. I was one of eight regions, my region for almost a decade. My team was able to exceed last year's sales, year over year organic sales Mm. at a higher level, generally double digits, than any other region consistently. Year after year, nobody beat us ever. We, We were not the biggest volume region. Okay. You know, Atlanta and, and Dallas, they very often did far better than us in a number of units, but we made more money than they did.
0: Oh, interesting. And we made
1: more money because of a lot of reasons. I had great people buying cars. Um, so we were able to buy the right cars. They were very dedicated to doing their job right. Thusly, we had the highest margins in the company. Oh, yeah. Not because we could, but... Yeah, because the margins at CarMax were the margins. It was $1,500 at the time. I don't care what the car is, we're gonna make $1,500 on it mm-hmm. and then start paying the bills. Yeah. Um, so that was a gross margin. And But because we bought cars, the right cars that turned so quickly, uh, had the right cars in stock, yeah. uh, this team was so dedicated. We, we invested a lot of energy into their training. They were the best and brightest in the organization. Yeah. It was those sort of things that drove our success so Mm -hmm. there was several years one out of eight region our region made forty percent four zero percent of the entire company's profit wow lowest turnover highest customer top two uh customer satisfaction scores i it, it was and it wasn't because i was the smartest guy in the room it's because we built foundationally this people machine Mm -hmm. that just produced great outcomes through having the right person in the seat. And let me tell you back for a plug for anybody that isn't doing it, DISC was a big part of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, and you know, it's so fascinating to me, Vaughn, that, that you're sharing this because this is real life experience. And I always say that if our people are growing, then our company will be growing as well. And so I think that it's it like it's hard sometimes to make the case to leaders, but you're just doing it right now. I mean, you you've proved it that when you when you invest in your people and you help them to grow, they then are thriving and they work are working at their best as well. And, and so I'm kind of curious as you as you did that and as you developed your people what were some of the behaviors that you taught or you you led and 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 really kind of were part of your culture because i i think that that culture has a huge component of how a company operates
1: and how they grow so there was there was certainly mindsets but there was also processes Mm -hmm. and we were very, very, very selective of who was ever put into leadership. Sure. Both from a hiring standpoint, and about 75, 80% of all of our leaders, managers were promoted from within. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it too, because Mm -hmm. we were able to grow our internal organization. They could grow too. Sure. In order to scale your business, you have to scale your people. Mm -hmm. But we took a lot of time and energy on the front end to hire the right person. Mm -hmm. In fact, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty close to this. It took us 250 applications to hire one person. Wow. We used to joke it's harder to get a job at CarMax than it is to get into Harvard.
0: Oh, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) We were
1: very selective. Now, most organizations, they hear something like that, and they think that's either BS or impossible to live. Now, we were a big organization. We spent plenty of money on marketing, and we were well-known. That (laughs) may have driven a lot of applications. But even if I'm just getting 10 applications for a position, we never settled. We never settled. And... We never just filled a spot. Yeah, you know, I've got a partner in business that has a saying. that says, "I would rather have a hole than an a hole." Yes, yeah, and- <laughs> so true. I love that. <laughs> oh, that's great. So we just left a position open. That's the mindset. That's yeah. the discipline that it mm-hmm. took. But we were each position came with a job description, of course. As- yeah part of the game. But we also had a profile, a human profile for each of those positions based on previous benchmarks of successful people. So when we were either moving somebody into a leadership role or hiring somebody, we had the benchmark of which we were measuring them for us to more likely, it's not 100%, nobody does this perfectly, but we raised the success factor on this by using the proper interviewing te- selection and interviewing techniques, then using the scientific approach of a, of a DISC assessment. Mm-hmm. We did a bunch of other pre-employment testing, honesty mm-hmm. and te- uh, testing and IQ testing, but, um, but the DISC was really the part that we found most beneficial. Compared that to the right person in the benchmark. Mm-hmm. And again, discipline. no matter how good we felt about that person, our guts aren't always right. Rarely are they. (laughs) And we just wouldn't make that hire, wouldn't make that promotion. Yeah, Just wouldn't. And so it's part of it is the dedication, the discipline, having the processes in place. And and then, but understanding what I'm looking for to start with, you know, we very often go on the, the promotion or the hiring journey with, with no vision in mind as to Mm. what this individual needs to accomplish. What, what are the, what's the likelihood that this person sitting across from me is going to be successful other than my gut and their experience. Right. There's a whole other side to that, that I'd say, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this 90 plus percent of employers ignore Mm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and they ignore it. Not out of, they don't agree with it. They don't know about it. They've never thought about it. Right. Uh The gross majority of people I work with, and when they engage my organization to come in and help them, when we get to the hiring part of this whole topic we're talking about right now, I find that almost 100% of these managers or leaders, even CEOs of companies, have never been formally trained on how to interview somebody. Sure. So they're right. just winging it. They're spraying right. and praying. Yep. And then they're complaining about how hard it is to hire good people. Right. Well, listen, we talked about that in the 70s. Yeah.
0: You know,
1: this, uh, you know, I I I picked up on no matter what business you're in, you're in the people business in the 70s. Yeah we didn't talk about soft skills back then. That was, yeah, we talked a little bit about people skills. We talked a little bit about presence. Mm-hmm. But this, this, this whole hot topic of people skills, soft skills mm-hmm. did not exist in the 70s. It was barely in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, it really came into its advent in as, as a forceful element to, to being successful in business in the 2000s. But we had a lot of great leaders back there. And when when I think back to the Ted Boswell's and Larry Painters and the Dan Reardons, uh-huh. I didn't know that that how to define what their skill set was then. Uh-huh. But now I look back and say, yeah, they were great leaders, not because of their knowledge, and they had knowledge. It was because of these skills, how mm-hmm. they put people first, how they took and and protected me, supported me. Gave me what I needed, uh, including developmental feedback. They were honest I with me, yeah. but in an encouraging way. They didn't. It's not just a series of pats on the back and coddling. No, I was never coddled. Mm-hmm. If I needed to be called on something, they called me on it, but in a way that was never demoralizing. Yeah. They had a skill set. They had a style mm-hmm. that worked very well in the 70s, 80s, 90s. But it's even more important today with the generations we are managing primarily today Mm -hmm. in that this level of empathy and care, collaboration, support, development and growth, it worked in the 70s, it's it's mandatory today.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Right, it's mandatory today. However, once again, if someone has not been exposed to the development part of of being able to do that in their role, Mm -hmm. they're going to be skipping around with a lack of success, Mm -hmm. a lot of frustration. They're going to go home at the end of the day, telling whoever they see at home, you know, what another crappy day and how bad Mm -hmm. the people are and how bad their boss is and how tough their life is. And, but I, and I promise people, and, and you've seen this yourself, David, if I get the people part, right when I go home, I'm only talking about my accomplishments. Yeah. I don't talk about what went wrong.
0: Yeah. Every now and then
1: something will go wrong, Sure. but sure. you get that part right. It's, it's nothing but pride when you go home and wow, yeah. what a, what a change in how you're living.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, you said something just a moment ago that I think is really important that I wanted to make sure people heard. You used a phrase, uh, it, it was, it, it, you said developmental feedback and, and Right now in the, in, in the podcast, um, we're, we're going through these themes. And the, the theme for this section is listening generously and speaking straight. I think those two behaviors go really hand in hand for, for every high-performing team and organization. And the component of feedback that I think really, re- it really relates to speaking straight, because you talked about not being coddled. And and speaking straight is simply being able to have a conversation that moves a situation forward. It it, it improves something. It gives some generative um, motion to a situation. And so I'm I'm curious. Like as you as you had people give you developmental feedback, they spoke straight to you. What was like? What was that like? And how did you use that? I'm I'm terming it speaking straight. How do you do that or teach that to leaders so that they can do this behavior when it seems sometimes um, difficult? I mean, there are certain personality styles. Going back to personality styles, you know, that S personality is going to have a really hard time, you know, speaking straight because they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. They're sensitive. So how do we do that how, as leaders? How do we bring that speak straight conversation into our cultures?
1: Uh, excellent question. And it's, it's all about having a difficult conversation. Yeah. All right. I don't care whether you're, D's don't worry about it, but D's are 3% of the population, right, 97% right. of the population. When I have to tell somebody they need to improve, that is yeah. construed as a difficult conversation. Yeah. And to your point, the S really struggle with that because their uh, their avoidance of conflict and, mm-hmm. and confrontation. So they'll put it off, put it off, put it off. Yeah. So first I have to start, if I'm going to change a habit, there has to be a reward that comes along with that habit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, good point.
1: And that's because that's the habit loop, right? Mm-hmm. And if if I give them the framework, if I give them the architecture, do this, do this, do this, with these rules around it, you can have that difficult uh, difficult conversation without it being confrontational. Yeah. And I'm, I'll give a couple specifics on that. And the reward's going to be that all of a sudden they're going to perform at a higher level, makes your job easier. They're going to go home more satisfied and less frustrated. Mm. You're going to go home less um frustrated and, and far more satisfied. Your company's going to benefit. I call that the transformational triangle of change. Yeah, you know, that. work on you. It'll it'll affect your people and yeah. the improvement in, in your in your team will affect the company in a positive way. Yeah. It goes on the other side as well, but yeah. that's that's the goal is let's let's have positive change. So yeah let me, let me just lay out this little point. There is nobody, unless they're a psychopath that gets up first thing in the morning and say, you know, I'm going to do, go in and do as lousy a job as I possibly right. can today. Right. But many managers think about their, their problem employees or people who are not performing as, yeah. wow, they, you know, they just want to do a bad job. They yeah. don't, I promise you they don't. Yeah. And even more so today, I think Gallup's latest 2021 poll ref- it reflects that out of I think three million employees, three million employees they surveyed, 82% have received no developmental feedback mm. in the past year. In the past year, yeah. zero. Wow. wow. Right, much less if you're going to engage and have a positive culture in the last 7 days every 7 days it's you know been that. very well studied that mm-hmm. they need some positive feedback now yeah, they that. also need feedback period,
0: period. yeah right exactly.
1: period yeah. how do i know how well i'm doing unless somebody's telling me exactly and if i'm doing a bad job and constantly being told what a bad job i am but not how to fix it mm-hmm. I am going to not like you very much.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And the more I don't like you, the less I'm going to put out for you. Right. You're not giving me what I need mm-hmm. in order to do a better job or you're withholding it completely from me, mm-hmm. for me to allow me to do a better job. So yeah. let's start with that foundation. They want it. Every one of these 3 million people surveyed desired developmental constructive feedback. feedback. Yeah. They desire to get better. We're withholding that from them because of this fear of confrontation, mm. and and I think that fear comes from just not knowing. So you have to start with the what I call the intention prevention. Mm. Is I cannot go into a developmental conversation with somebody, understanding or believing I already know their intention. Uh, what they believe, what yeah. their attitude is. Yeah. I've got to go in with an open mind. Yeah. So this difficult conversation, this is going to blow some minds, <laughs> is really about, it's a conversation, but it's a discovery yeah. conversation. It's yeah. a series of opened in the questions right. of who, what, when, where, how, Tell me more about that. What do you believe you're supposed to be doing? Why do you think that's the way it's supposed to be? Mm-hmm. How did this happen? What would you do differently in the future? Yeah. But what most managers do is they come in and they feel like they've got to download.
0: Subscribe. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Here's what you need to do. Yeah.
0: Well, think about it.
1: <laughs> are you more likely to do what you say you're going to do yeah. or more likely to do what somebody else tells you to do? Yeah, yeah. For sure. Odds are in your favor. Yeah. is to draw out this self-discovery during the course of a developmental conversation. Right. Understand what their intention is from yeah. their perspective. Never go in mm-hmm. with your mind made up. That's you know that's uh, confirmation bias. Yeah. Uh, don't do that. Go in with an open mind, discover what they're thinking, what they're missing, what more they need. Mm-hmm. Provide that for them. Have them in turn write out their action plan you yeah. don't write the action plan they write the action yeah. plan for improvement and even if it's a minor if you're doing a monthly review with somebody mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a major event it yeah. should be regularly yeah. i you know i i uh enforce or encourage all of my clients to have 30 day reviews. Yeah. every 30 days everybody there gets a 30 minute review absolutely. on the same criteria
0: yeah absolutely
1: um And that way you're giving them this feedback that they're looking for all the time, positive and negative. But you ask them what they're doing well. You ask them what they need to work on. They almost always will tell you what they're not doing well. And what
0: they need to, yeah.
1: They're much more critical of themselves if you have the right relationship with them. They have the right understanding of what's expected of them that comes from you. Um, and they will be very critical on themselves. And you can sit back. It's not confrontational at all. They're telling you what they have to work on. Yeah. And all you have to do is agree, ask them to write a plan, maybe help them edit that plan a little bit and voila.
0: Yeah, it's done. Yeah, I've got
1: improvement. <laughs> yeah, But it's, it's that fear of going in and having to have this one-way monologue that is team. going to be seen as negative feedback, negative feedback, negative feedback. Yeah. You got to change your mindset. Yeah, because that's not what it is. Yeah, you got. You they want to do better. You've got to help them do better.
0: Right. That's such a it's such a great perspective, Vaughn. I really so, so appreciate you sharing that. And and I want to just speak to our our emerging leaders. Well, actually, all of the leaders who are who are watching, but especially our emerging leaders, because they've heard me in our sessions talk about the value of asking good questions and you, you, you just displayed a situation where if I'm an emerging leader and if I'm going to grow to a place where I am going to be a leader who has those generous listening sessions and I can also speak straight, I'm going to ask those good questions along the way. And so this is a real life example of why those are important and it's why we go through the process that we go through in helping craft those good questions. And the other thing that you said too, and I and I, I think this is really important, probably more so for maybe senior leaders, but you know, before we, we came on air, we were talking about checklists and, you know, and, and, and as a pilot, I I I know that if you're not watching where your 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 heading is all the time, if I'm going from Los Angeles to New York, if if, if my direction is off only three degrees, three degrees. I'm not going to end up in New York city. I'm going to probably end up in Washington DC or someplace South or, or, or North, whichever way I'm, I'm, I'm deviating. So I think the idea of you sharing about these 30 day um, reviews is powerful because it gives that constant correction so that we are on track and we're continually moving in the direction and we end up in the place that we want to end up
1: yeah and I thank you for saying that because it is a game changer David it yeah. is an absolute game changer and anybody listening to the podcast today first reason they are against doing something like this well I don't have time for that yeah well statistically seventy percent of your time as a manager is spent on underperforming employees or the byproducts of that yeah, yeah. so you do have the time Right. Because if I fix my underperforming employees, all of a sudden, spending less time on that,
0: yeah, right? Yeah, the, sure.
1: the dial comes down. So statistically, I'm helping myself with the right time. So you do have the time. You have to commit the time. The time will never present itself. You have to schedule it. You have mm-hmm. to plan it. You have to have the proper checklist. Yeah. Uh, you have to have the proper education on how to to follow this process. Mm-hmm. And when you start doing it, the first one will be an hour, yeah, maybe longer, right? It's the foundational one. We're going to talk yeah. about a lot of things. The second one probably comes down to 45 or 30 minutes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then subsequently you're coming in and you're talking about here's what's good. Here's what you need to work on. What are you committing to work on? Great. Go fix that. Yeah. Um, and 15, 20, 30 minutes the next month is just this, it's it, it gets quicker it gets efficient we're all yeah. on the same page we're all bought in uh it gets a little longer when somebody's not buying into it sure. or sure. following through with their commitment that's another path we have to go down yeah, that's uncomfortable yeah, sure. but, yeah. but but it, you elim, el, eliminate a lot of your firefighting yeah. this is fire prevention to your point mm-hmm. i i'm going to land in new york i'm not going to land land or run out of fuel over washington dc yeah. um, I, I'm going to get to the path that I want to get to quicker and with less ease, less headwinds mm. to keep a, a, a nautical approach yeah. to this, right. less headwinds, yeah. and they're going to respect me more. Through that respect, they're going to want to do an even better job for me. Yeah just like all the great leaders I worked for that I've, I've modeled my approach after. Was I always perfect? Absolutely not. I do not want to profess that I was. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot too, because I had difficult conversations right. with my boss and said, yeah. hey, this is happening. What are you going to do about it? Right. Uh, how about this, this, and this? Yeah. Okay, let's go do that. Go do that. But yeah. then I went and did it and the boss was looking for me to do it. So that's, it's not coddling. It's accountability, uh, yeah. and you you know as well as anybody that accountability ap- applied in the right method right. is one of the biggest motivators in the world. Of course, yeah. Applied incorrectly, it is one of the most demoralizing things in the world, Right. but I, I, everybody thrives on doing a good job, which is your accountability. Mm-hmm. So it's up to me as a boss to set the expectation, follow up on that expectation, reward, success, continue with the development if it's not happening, yes. and, you know, keep going, keep going. Some people are going to learn faster than others. Yeah. The, the people who struggle the most with what we're talking about right now are the high D's on the disc yes. because they want everything yesterday. Right, they, They're they the ones that I have the most difficult time in coaching sessions to get them to grasp the fact that nobody else in the world thinks like them. Yeah. They're so driven for success. Yeah. There's, you know, an accomplishment and getting things done quickly, and they embrace change very easily. Not everybody is right. able to process yeah. information, make decisions, make change, be yeah. comfortable with those. Yeah. So I've got to reset myself and many, many CEOs. In fact, you know, the high D I is generally, the maybe the high C is the CEO, mm-hmm. uh, model. Right. Yeah. And so, but D's naturally don't have a lot of empathy. Yeah. But once they understand that light goes on, Oh, if I show this care and go through this process, with my direct reports, and giving them feedback, setting goals, I'm going to accomplish more, I'm going to be more successful, because these are very much about themselves. I'm a high D, so I can say that. (laughs) Um, But it's, um, and I'm a high D that was able to adapt myself to care about people. Because that's what got me, you know, we were talking about the CarMax success story. That's what got the success was wasn't about me. Yeah. I had to be empathetic. I had to be the Pied Piper Mm -hmm. of people. When I walked into a store, everybody needed to want to talk to me and they did.
0: Sure, sure.
1: Um, But well, it's interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's so interesting. You you share that about yourself, especially being a D and and, and about D's because um, that fast pace. Sometimes they don't realize that they it's, it's a matter of, it's, it's kind of like if we wanted to use a different analogy or metaphor, it's racing, you know, you got to slow down a little bit so that you can speed up. You got to slow down going into that curve so that when you come out the other side, you can actually then accelerate and speed up. And I think that when they get it and when they understand that, then they, you know, that's when they can take off and really flourish and create the environment that we're talking about for sure.
1: I share with them that they have to make haste slowly. <laughs> That's
0: good. That's really good. I love that. <laughs> That's good. Let Let me let me shift gears on you for just a second because I'm I'm curious about something. Um, one of the things that is fascinating me right now in in culture in leadership is this idea of, and it's not even an idea. It's actually a reality of the various, um, generations in the workplace. And, and you alluded to it earlier, you know, back in the seventies and the eighties. And I mean, like I grew up in the eighties. So, I mean, I, I'm kind of like in, I've been programmed in that era. And there's a lot of leaders who were programmed in that era of, of, of command and control. And what we're talking about is not command and control. It's really empowerment. So How do we as leaders who may have been programmed in an earlier era and an earlier methodology, how do we get out of that so that we can actually lead well among the various generations? Any thoughts on that, Vaughn?
1: Oh, a lot of thoughts on that. (laughs) And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's styles of leadership and certainly this man control was very much in vogue in the seventies and eighties, but it's like wearing Paisley bell-pottom pants now. It's (laughs) completely out of style and it's proven that it does not work. Mm -hmm. You can get success in short bursts, but it's not sustainable. And that's proven time after time, check, You know, fact check me on that. Yeah. But it's not sustainable. I can I can break people or be hard on people and demanding of people. And they'll go out and do it out of just fear of of losing their job. Mm. That's a little bit of an extreme, but they'll do it just to shut you up. Sure. Um, but if you want long-term sustained success, it's very important that understand the people and the soft skills and the uh, that part of it. So Mm -hmm. it's evolved. We've 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 got two big generations working for us now, millennial and Gen Z mm-hmm. that have just been brought up in a different environment. And mm-hmm. many of us baby boomers, maybe Gen mm-hmm. Xers yep. are a little hard headed about that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And but I I have to remind them that just like the clothes that you wear, the way that maybe you responded to, the way you work, the way you were taught. That's not in style today and it just makes you look odd yeah i mean it just yeah, it, sure. it's just not going to work for you well and ineffective and, too, right yeah. yeah yeah absolutely you're you're harming yourself yeah right but it's it it you know what's the definition of insanity right <laughs> yeah um and but they they don't know another way mm. so you know please if you're listening to this today you're struggling in getting things done with your people, you're challenged with constantly putting out fires and people issues, stop. Get yourself some education on the Mm -hmm. soft skills, on the people skills part of it. Mm -hmm. Apply yourself, your own development. Get a coach, get a mentor, take Mm -hmm. classes, whatever it is. Uh, Go learn how to adopt this because, like I, I mentioned earlier, I had great bosses in the 70s, 80s, 90s and i look back and i assess those bosses what made them great it was what would made them great today as well because yes. they have that empathy around people, people. that skill yeah. set and please yeah. do not mistake my word of empathy about being coddling that is not what it means yeah. it means put your people first care about them they will care about you yeah. but that also gives you permission to have difficult conversations with them and they will accept those conversations. It's it's like opening the receptor mm-hmm. to change. Yeah. Um, you can either do it like this or you can do it like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and so you're just doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And just like going down and buying yourself a new wardrobe at Nordstrom's or Marshall's, whichever way you go, yeah. um, you need to go find yourself. A new set of style for being successful today. It's all the same success. It's just called different words. Mm -hmm. It was the same people in the 70s, 80s, and 90s that were exceptional leaders. In fact, let's let's just think about this. Carnegie wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yep. Well, like in the thirties, right? Right.
0: Yeah. A long time right? ago. Yeah, exactly. Zig
1: Ziegler, who yeah. most people uh, under 40 don't know that name. Maybe right. you do. Fifties, do. <laughs> sixties, right? Yes. Uh, John Maxwell has been around for decades, decades. and decades. Same message, same approach. Yeah, right. And it's more valuable today than it's ever been. It was super successful back then. Yeah. It just wasn't talked about, but it is mandatory today. Yeah. Yeah,
0: for sure, Yvonne. Gosh, I think, you know, this is just such an amazing conversation. I really appreciate your perspective, especially as, you know, relates to, you know, business leaders today and how we can become, you know, the best that we can be and the most successful that we can be. So I'm, I'm just, you know, last question, you know, how do, how do people, um, you know, get in touch with you? Um, if they, if they want to reach out and just connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: The single best way is visit my reps, right, RDLtraining.com. That's the acronym for results driven leadership training.com. So RDL.com. Awesome. I've got a ton of information on there, all kinds of tools and 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 resources for you. Uh so visit me there or they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only yeah. Vaughn Sigmund in the world, so yes. I won't be hard to find. I <laughs> love it. Uh, Follow me and and results driven leadership on LinkedIn. We're posting all the time, great tools and information for you. And please reach out if you want to have a discussion. Love to be able to do that with you.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. And make sure we we will make sure that we put um, all of that in the show notes. So if you're doing something else right now, if you're if you're working out, if you're driving, what have you. Just go to the show notes. We'll have links directly to all of Vaughn's connection uh, there. So, hey, Vaughn, thank you so much. Thanks for just sharing you know, your your perspectives, sharing your experience. Um, I, I just think it's amazing. And I think this was a really a, a great conversation. And I believe that the leaders that are watching, they'll get a lot out of
1: it. Well, and thank you, David. I, I think I could you and I could spend the rest of the day talking about this because we're sure. so passionate about yeah, it. For sure. But uh it was a true pleasure today. You're awesome, thank and you. thanks for having me on today. Totally my pleasure.